Hey, I'm Ryan Mallory, and this is my Swing Trading the Stock Market podcast. I'm here to teach you how to trade in a complex, ever-changing world of finance. Learn what it means to trade profitably and consistently, managing risk, avoiding the pitfalls of trading, and most importantly, to let those winners run wild. You can succeed at the stock market, and I'm ready to show you how. Hey, everybody. This is Ryan Mallory with Swing Trading the Stock Market, and today's episode is going to be a pretty darn good one. We got a fellow here from back in July. This was episode number 265 that was entitled Just Start Over. He wrote, Brian, love the show. I'll keep it simple. New trader here as of February this year. I started out with $300 in my brokerage account simply to learn the ropes. After 82 trades, I am now down to just over $200. At what point should I consider it blown and start over? Much gratitude, G.W. Boone. That was the Florida redneck name that he chose for himself. And we had the pleasure of hearing back from G.W. Boone and how he is handling starting over. And Boone writes, howdy, Ryan. This here is G.W. Boone checking in with an update on my swing trading education. First off, I'm drinking a frosty can of bush. Secondly, I continue to enjoy every episode of Swing Trading the Stock Market, your YouTube channel, your posts on Stockwoods, and your Patreon feed as well. Thank you and keep up the great work. This is a follow-up to the email that you read on July 22nd entitled, Just Start Over. Well, basically, that is what I've done. I've closed my account with E-Trade at a 30% total loss, opened an account with Fidelity, and started transferring funds. This new Fidelity account will be funded at an initial $300, and with it, I will continue my trading education. I chose Fidelity to allow for fractional share trading, plus I like the way I can use and set bracket trades. In the episode Just Start Over, you posed the question, what have you learned? Well, I've learned quite a bit. I'll keep it simple. Number one. Do not trade against the market, the sector, or the trend. I did this for my first 50 trades out of inexperience, and it was bloody. Do not engage in FOMO trading or chasing a price. In retrospect, quite a number of my trades were FOMO, and I didn't even realize it. Do not buy the dip or average down. My worst all-time trade was because of this horrible practice. Do not trade meme stocks nor penny stocks. Lessons learned here. Do not take comments on Stocktwits for anything more than amusement value. Exceptions to this rule are posted by SharePointer and another guy. It is okay to make partial trade exits. Prior to this, I was all or none. This second time around, my intent is to conduct surveys of the various indicators available on Yahoo Finance. The first indicator will be the Ichimoku. I don't even know how you say that. Honestly. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever actually heard somebody say it out loud, but I mean, I'm familiar with it, but I just don't use it in my own trade. But he writes, the first one will be the Ichimoku. I think I might have said that right. I'm not sure. And I intend to follow its signals to the letter using one day and one week time frames. I will do so for 25 trades and then evaluate. I'm still laughing about whether or not I'm actually saying that right. Ichimoku. I, I think that's right, but maybe it's Ichimoku. Not sure. He wraps it up by saying, now I can trade fractional shares. I am also going to explore the indices both long and short, i.e. SPY and SH, QQQ and PSQ, IWM and RWM, etc., etc. My question to you is this. What is the best way to determine that a trade is a loser early on and just get out of the trade well before it hits my stop loss? Loss management has not been my strong point. Well, we got to make that a strong point, GW. Again, thanks for all you do. Keep listening and watching. Sincerely, G.W. Boone. Okay, there's a lot to unpack here. And I really like that he's giving me his lessons. I love that he followed up with me. If there's something that you guys, that I've done a podcast episode on one of your emails and you want to follow up with me, let's do it. I love to hear from you guys. It doesn't have to be just one email that you guys send me. I've done podcast episodes on people who have sent in multiple emails. So feel free to follow up with me 
if you would like to. Now, as for what I am drinking, we have got some private barrel selection here from Russell's Reserve. This is from Total Wine. It's Kentucky Straight Bourbon. It is 55% alcohol, making it 110 proof. I love the ones that are, you know, 50 to 55. Those are like the sweet spot, in my opinion. Huge fan of Russell Reserve. I wasn't always a huge fan, basically out of ignorance. I just never tried it. But, man, every one of these bottles that I tried, they're really good. So this one I'm excited about. My guy at Total Wine, he's like, Ryan, you come in here. You never take this private barrel selection serious that I always point out to you. You need to try it. So that's what I'm doing here. I'm trying out Russell's Reserve private barrel selection. Now, I mean, eyeballing this thing, it's got a really, really thick looking color, like very dark brown, very rich looking. On the smell to the nose, whatever you want to call it, definitely can pick up a lot of like the berries. I'll be honest though, I mean, smell's important, but it's kind of one of those things where you take a whiff at it and then you really just get down to the sipping. So on the sipping side of things, you taste the mint, pick up a lot of toffee flavors. It's got some good honey flavors. And then on the finish, it's got a really, really nice balance to it. You, you definitely taste the spice. It lingers for a little bit, but it doesn't come on right out of the gate. It lets you enjoy the taste first, and then you get hit with the finish. So it's a really nice, like, flavorful bourbon. It puts you in a nice chill mode. I think a lot of these Total Wines have it. So I know they've been sitting on this one for a long time. It's not selling fast. So check out your Total Wine to see if they have it out. This isn't like a paid sponsor or anything. I'm just telling you, it's a good one. Scale of 1 to 10, I give it an 8.7. Like I said, all the Russell Reserve bourbons, really a huge fan of. I need to start trying out some of these trashy bourbons out there. Uh, Maybe I'm getting a little spoiled. Maybe I'm getting a little bougie and I keep getting the good stuff. But I need to go back to my roots, man, trying some of these trashy bourbons because they really do suck. And the worst thing about it is, is that you end up getting a collection of sucky bourbons. And I have nowhere to go with them. I usually just give them away to somebody that actually likes them. But... I need to get back to that. My apologies. I feel like the, a lot of the ones that I've done lately have been really good, but I'm going to find you some trashy ones here. Don't lose faith in me just yet. A lot of you guys t- say that you like to hear about the trashy ones as much as the good ones. All right, <laughs> let's get to GW Boone here. So first off, he talks about he's drinking a frosty can of bush. The one thing that saves him here is that it's a frosty can. I mean, when you, you give it that kind of a adjective, okay, that helps. But man, it's bush. I'm not totally against it, but, you know, hey, to each his own, right? But he dropped 30% in his account, and he closed it out. What makes that hard is when you get down 30% in an account, he was in a $300 account. It goes down to 200 so, yeah, about 33%. But let's just say, for rounded numbers' sake, it was a 30% drop. What makes that hard is that it takes a 42% jump to make that money back. So, Even like with the market right now, with the NASDAQ down, it's down over 30%. It's going to take over a 40% move to be able to make that money back. Let's say the NASDAQ goes down 50%. And that's where you really start to see the compounding, where after you lose like 25%, the numbers just get explosive in terms of how much of a move you need higher in order to make back your money. So if you lose 50% in your account, God forbid, you're talking about a significant drawdown and a huge move to the upside that you got to make in order to get that money back. A 50% drawdown requires a 100% rise. So if the NASDAQ does end up dropping 50%, a lot of people are going to take huge losses, but it's going to take a 100% move out of the market in order to make that money back. And so that's why you see me talking about tight stop losses all the time. I got taken out of a trade yesterday. I wasn't stopped out. I actually got out a little bit early just because I could tell by just looking at the chart that this thing was not going to work out well. There was The ticks on the charts were way too negative. The breadth was getting really ugly. I was in an SSO, which is a two-to-one 
leveraged ETF of the S&P 500 to the long side. So I knew that this thing was not going to work out in my favor. I ended up getting out of it. I saved about an extra 2% by not waiting for my stop loss to get knocked out. Stop loss would have been taken out this morning had I stayed in it for the extra day or overnight. So it was good that I got out. But if I had like a 10% or a 15% stop loss on it, I would have definitely still been in it for the rally that happened today. But guess what? Just because you get stopped out doesn't mean that if the opportunity doesn't arise that you can't get back into a stock or to an ETF or in, you know into an index ETF. Not at all. And I think that's what a lot of times people get upset about. One of the things that I always try to do is I try not to think about, okay, I got stopped out at this price. Now I'm getting back in at an even higher price to where I got taken out of the trade. I don't want that. I should have just stayed in it. Like that kind of where you're grappling with yourself. Market doesn't care about that stuff. It doesn't care about where you got in and out at. It's just moving. It's always in action, right? So it's always in action. We got to have short memories. We can't worry about where we got in or out at. Because if you get back in and you make money to the upside, it was worth it, was it not? So that's what happened to me with SSO. I think I got in at around like the 4280 mark, somewhere around that point. Then it comes back down. I get knocked out at like 4150. But the next day, today, I get back in at 4170, which was 20 cents higher from where I sold out yesterday. Now I could have been like, hey, I'm not going to get in a half percent higher than where I just got out at. But if I had, maybe I never would have gotten into that trade. So it's really about me looking at the charts and what the charts are saying and making a decision based on what I'm seeing right now, not the fact that I was stopped out of it the other day. As of today, it finished up 3% higher. Maybe it goes up higher on the days that follow, but took a little bit off the table. But think about how many times, though, that like there's traders out there right now that are probably still in like a UPRO or a TNA or a QLD or a TQQ when the market was back in like at its highs in, in January of this year, or even maybe they held from like March or June or even, I mean, there's deterioration in these products, you know, on a day-to-day basis because they reset each night. So can you imagine what kind of losses some of these people might be sitting on and what kind of rally that they need just to get back to break even? That's why stop losses are so important. They've guided me my entire career. They've always kept me in the game. But if you're not going to manage losses and you're, or you're going to even take wide stop losses, like the people who have like stop losses at maybe 20%, those can be some pretty, pretty hefty losses. And if you take multiple 20% losses, which is very easy in the kind of market that we've had this year, you may have like a 40 or a 50% drawdown. And all of a sudden you need that 100% rally in order to get back to break even. And so the whole point of this is, is that I keep stop losses tight because I don't like big drawdowns. I don't like big drawdowns because they require big moves in order just to get back to break even. In this market this year, I've done really well. But let's say I'd made nothing this year. I'd still be in a much better position than the person that tried to trade without any discipline and just got hammered as a result of always buying the dip. They're now having to make up losses when the market finally does bottom, whereas a person who's just sitting in cash is ready to pounce on the market when it finally does bottom. They can start adding to their totals rather than trying to make back the totals that they once had. For me as a trader, whether I'm profiting or whether I'm on the sideline, there's reason behind it. I don't want to take unnecessary losses. I don't want to be stuck in an unnecessary drawdown. I don't want to be hurting myself when it could have easily been prevented. So he closes his E-Trade account. He gets a fresh start going with Fidelity, doing the fractional shares. Fidelity is great. Tell you the truth. I buy fractional shares all the time. I mean, I don't buy just a fraction of a share. I'll buy shares. But what I end up doing is I just put in the dollar amount that I want to buy of a particular stock and I just go from there. 
for my long-term portfolio because that's what I use for Fidelity. I use that for my long-term portfolio, dividend stocks and stuff like that. But when I'm adding to it, I just put a dollar amount in there. So I'm always going away with fractional shares. I don't care. It's a little bit easier to do it that way. There's really, in my opinion, there's no right or wrong way to do it. I mean, some people will say, oh, I should you know, just say the exact number of shares. I don't think it makes a difference. If you want $1,000 or something or $10,000 or $25,000, you can actually just put that in there on Fidelity. It's like, hey, I want to buy $25,000 of this stock. And you can do that or $1,000 or $100. But Fidelity, I've actually enjoyed using their platform. I mean, it's not a bad. I tend to get pretty good fills with them. And he's starting again with $300. It's not too small. I mean, with fractional shares, you can still get the experience of trading, risk management, and all that stuff. You just got to be willing to be disciplined. And I think what a lot of people do when they're trading with an account that's like in the hundreds or even, you know, like the low thousands, they are still consumed with the dollar amount. Look, if you're trading with a $300 account, don't expect that you're going to make, you know, $100 a week on that account or $50 for that matter. That's hard to do with a $300 account. You have to have realistic expectations. But if you're like coming away with it and say, hey, in an environment where the market was falling apart and it, and it wasn't good conditions at all for trading, I increased over the course of the year my account from $300 to $350. Man, I'll high five you all day long over that. And if you can look me in the eye and say, man, I managed the risk. I used stop losses. I was disciplined. I stuck to my plan. That is so awesome. Awesome. I look at you and would say you were way more successful than a guy who had a million-dollar portfolio and added $1,000 to his account that year. Way more. But a lot of times when you have these small accounts, you just think about the fact. It's like, oh, this isn't worth my time. I've made $50 this year. Who cares? But that's not what you're trying to do. You're trying to become a good trader. And if you become a good trader, the dollars will follow. But you got to become a good trader first. You got to learn the basics. And it's better to lose with a little bit of money than to not know what you're doing with a lot of money and lose it all. And that's what a lot of people do, man. They just go in face first, man. And they get just face plant right onto the market, man. And they lose everything that they made. It's way better to start off with a small amount. You're going to be able to learn. And you got to treat that capital as if it's precious. You know, like Gollum from Lord of the Rings when he's like, Schmeagle needs precious. You got to be like him. You got to guard that thing. Just, well, I mean, don't lose your capital in a cave or anything like he did his ring, but be good managers of risk, regardless if you're trading with a 300000 or a $300. Now, some of the lessons. Let's go through these because he had some really good ones. Do not trade against the market. Top down trading strategy is what I always use. And that's what he's basically referring to here. He doesn't trade against the market, the sector or the trend. And that's important. It doesn't mean that, you know, when the market's been in a downtrend, you start to see a basing pattern. It's coming out of the basing pattern that you can't try to play that breakout. But again, you know, it it pays to have a tight stop loss because if you're wrong, you don't want to be wrong by a lot. And all of a sudden you're bag holding a 15 or 20% loss. But you want to see the market starting to develop that breakout of that base before you really start to take a sector serious or you start taking an individual stock serious. He said he did this for 50 trades out of inexperience. And it's, yeah, it's going to have bloody results like what he said. It's like you're a fish going upstream when you're fighting the trend. How many people, when we saw the huge meltdown in May and June and then again here in August and September, they just kept buying the dip and buying the dip. And now they're down 20 or 30 percent, especially if they were margining themselves. Or even people who were buying the dip in January and February thinking, oh, this market can't keep going down forever. The Fed will pivot. They keep buying into all the rumors that are flooding Wall Street. And all of a sudden, you know what? They're fighting an uphill battle and then they'll go away saying, oh, the market's rigged. It's manipulated. You know, I'm screwed. No, that's not the case. Do not engage in FOMO trading or chasing a price. This is a huge thing because a lot of times people will be watching like the one minute chart and they get hyped up watching it. Oftentimes, if you have a huge case of FOMO, it's better to to zoom out on the charts. It's better to trade off of the daily chart or the weekly chart. 
Because when you start getting down to the five-minute charts, you will start buying at some of the worst possible times imaginable. It's easy for me to do that, and I've done it before too. But when you feel that way, start zooming out to the daily chart. Look at what it says on the daily or on the weekly and make your decisions based off of that. Because when you start doing it on intraday, man, there's so much volatility, it's easy to get sucked into a trade and lose money unnecessarily. And we've already talked about this, but he said he don't buy the dip or average down. His worst trades came from this. And it's like growing up, I remember my dad always telling me, he says, a lie will take you further than you ever want to go. It's the same thing with dip buying. If you start dip buying, it'll take you lower than you ever imagined because you have to keep buying the dip. Just like when you're telling a lie, in order to cover up for that lie, you got to tell more lies. And then before you know it, you don't even know what the truth is. And that can be a lot like trading when you're buying the dip. It'll take you down a far darker road, a road littered with more losses than you could have ever imagined if you keep buying the dip. Yeah, you get caught up in it because you're like, oh, now I only need it to rally this much before I break even, and it never does. And then all of a sudden, you've blown up your account. He doesn't want to trade meme stocks or penny stocks anymore. I think that's an amazing discovery for him to have made that. And it's not just for him in particular, but there's still people still trying to trade the meme stocks. They still think that that's where their success lies, man. Look, when you look at GameStop and AMC and all these other ones, what do they do? When they do pop, they keep popping a little bit less each time. They're not things that you can rely on, at least at, at this point in time, they're not. I mean, maybe they'll get their act together, turn things around. But at this point, I mean, how many people, how many losses have been taken from GameStop and AMC? I would surmise that more people have lost money in those stocks than made money. And the reason why is the people who are getting out at the top, the people who really did make money off of it, they're having to sell to so many people who are buying at that top, so many accounts to be able to liquidate their positions as just creating all sorts of new bag holders. And while I think there's a lot of good things that you can learn from social media, I think Twitter is like a really great place. So is StockTwits. If you follow the right people, yes, there's some really good news feeds out there that you can find out things really fast versus, you know, waiting on the Wall Street Journal to post an article about it. You can get that instant news really, really fast. And, and Twitter moves the markets. So don't completely discount it, but be aware of who you're following. Make sure it's somebody that, you know, they're not just blowing smoke up your butt. Oftentimes when we get a crazy spike in the market, I'm going straight to Twitter to figure out what was the news that just moved the market. Like this morning, there was a huge spike in the pre-market, sent the market rally. And I was like, man, where the heck did that come from? I couldn't find it on any of the websites. So I went to Twitter, found it on Zero Hedge. They were retweeting a guy from Wall Street Journal that was talking about the Fed maybe wanting to start decreasing the pace of their rate increases. That got the market rally. I wouldn't have found it for a while if I had relied on traditional news sources. And he says it's okay to make partial trade exits. Yes, this is one of the things that I learned probably a little bit later than I should have. I think with the commission-free trading, I hated the fact that I was always racking up a lot of unnecessary charges and commissions. I mean, thousands and thousands of dollars lost every year to just partial profits. So I, I never did it. And when they started going commissionless, that's when I did it. And I think it started off too when I first started off swing trading. You know, there was like $20 for just to get into a trade. And that could really add up if you were doing partial profits. And I wasn't trading with much at that time. So yeah, I got into an all or none mentality. I got all in, I got all out. I still get all in on my trades. I still believe that's the right way to go for my trading style. But as I get out, I start to take partial profits along the way because that's going to reduce the risk, but it still gives you an opportunity to make plenty more profits on that overall trade. Because one of the things I noticed too in my trading, and this is one of the things that led me to start taking partial profits is that my trades weren't maximizing the profit opportunities as much as they should when I was just doing all in and all out. So I would go all in and then I would start taking a third off or a quarter off here and then take another quarter off, another quarter off. And then by the time I get to like the last third or the last quarter, 
I'm letting that position run wild. So his question on this podcast, and it's actually what I haven't really talked too much about is, is, well, I've talked a little bit about it, you know, from a stop loss standpoint, but he said, what is the best way to determine when I trade as a loser early on and just get out of it well before it hits my stop loss? Well, if you're having a problem with the stop loss where you're placing it, you're probably placing stop losses that are too wide. So I don't place stop losses at 10% because I don't want to take a 10% loss. It's too wide for me. So I can find really good trade setups, but if it's a 10% stop loss, I'll pass on it. It can be very frustrating at times because I see a good chart there and then you eventually see that chart play out favorably and you're like, man, I should have just taken the trade, but I would have had to take it a 10% risk at that time. And when you're initially getting into a trade, you don't know if it's going to work out or not. So my stop losses are very tight. They're usually like three or 4%, never to usually exceed four, four to 6%. And every time I get into a trade, I ask myself, am I comfortable with this stop loss? Am I comfortable with this 4% stop loss on this trade? If I'm not, then I'm not going to take the trade. I have to be comfortable with it. Of course, we're always comfortable with profits, but are we comfortable with the loss that we're willing to take on that trade in order to hopefully achieve that profit? And if you can't, then that's really not a trade that's worth taking. So really, it's about trying to find trade setups that offer a stop loss that you're comfortable with. And one of the things that I do on swingtradingthestockmarket.com is I provide a lot of good charts showing you and videos too, showing you like how I set up some of these trades out there that can provide some good trading ideas. So that's worth checking out. You're also going to get my watch lists each week, different stocks on my daily setups, as well as updates on the big tech and the market as a whole. You're going to get many videos sent to you each and every week, multiple ones each day. So check that out. You're supporting the podcast, swingtradingthestockmarket.com. And I hope that you enjoyed this podcast episode here. It was good to follow up with GW Boone. As always, Send me your questions, Ryan at SharePointer.com. Believe it or not, I don't get enough from you guys. You guys got to keep sending them to me. There's no bad question to ask. If I can't do it, I'll I'll sometimes follow up with you and say, hey, let's try to get a different question here or something that might work a little bit better for the show. But I try to get back to everyone. Have I been perfect? No, but I do try to get back to every one of you guys and do air as many of them as I humanly possibly can. And make sure to leave a five-star review too. Those mean a lot to me. They help me continue to build the audience. Yeah, like anybody, I want to continue to expand the audience, continue to expand the reach of this show. So do that as a favor to me as well, if nothing else. Thank you guys, and God bless. Thanks for listening to my podcast, Swing Trading the Stock Market. I'd like to encourage you to join me in the SharePointer Trading Block, where I navigate the stock market each day with traders from around the world. With your membership, you will get a seven-day trial and access to my trading room, including alerts via text, email, and WhatsApp. So go ahead, sign up by going to shareplanner.com slash trading block. That's www.shareplanner.com slash trading block. And follow me on SharePlanner's Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, where I provide unique market and trading information every day. If you have any questions, please feel free to email me at brian at shareplanner.com. All the best to you, and I look forward to trading with you soon. 